It's, uh, sorry, it's on now. Uh, I'm Brendan, one of the deacons here. I just want to welcome you guys all to Trinity Bible Church. Um, we, uh, uh, we have great fellowship here. I just want to, if you've, all the events are listed on the website. Uh, we have a lot of great things going on here. Uh, I would just wanted to highlight something that um, it's new here. We're doing the life recovery in the back room with Steve. Uh, it's an awesome group. They meet early in the morning. What time do you guys meet? Eight? Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock they meet here. Um, it's an awesome uh, network for guys who uh, are looking to, uh, you know, restart their life with the Lord and uh, looking for help in that. And uh, and also just with Andrew, with the outreach we have um, with the uh, evangelism, Lord, uh, it's just an awesome thing he does uh, running um, our outreach. And uh, if you need to get connected and you want to learn how to uh, serve the Lord, uh, that's a great way to start. And so obviously here at Trinity, we we. We encourage learning, growing, and serving, and uh, the serving is uh, is something that we we all need to, you know, even myself included, need to work harder at doing. So it's uh, that's a great outreach we have at the church. Um, I just want to lead us into worship here with uh, with a scripture uh, from Psalm uh, Psalm five verse seven and eight it says, "But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you." Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Dear Father, I just pray this morning that you would guide us uh, into your, your house, Lord, and that we would enter into a time of worship with you, Father. Um, we have a connection, Father, with you um, that is holy, Lord, and we just pray that we would be one, Lord, with you this morning, and that you would enter into this place, Father, and we pray that in your name. Amen.
Oh, oh, oh. 
a chasm that lay between us. I had a mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the
I'm Bruce Neary, and I'm here to introduce some special people today. This is Phil Reardon and Debbie Reardon. And I want to tell you something. You guys have no idea how much I thought about that all week. I, I, I don't want to screw this up. I was reminding myself just five minutes ago. Okay? But it was formerly Debbie Carver. So these two guys have a story. There are missionaries to the to the uh, the prison ministry they run. So I'm just going to hand it over to you guys. Good morning, praise the Lord, saints. My name is Philip. Uh, I've been here before. Last year I was here, and uh, uh, just want to give glory to the, to God for His goodness and for His grace and His mercy in our lives. And I want to share a little story with you this morning. And we're here this morning to present the Angel Tree Ministry that we do. It's gifts for for children of prisoners. And a lot of people don't take the time to stop and think if a husband uh, gets arrested and put in jail, what happens to his wife? what happens to their children, who cares for them, who provides for them. So it's another aspect of prison ministry. So Debbie's going to present that in a minute, but I want to share a little story with you. And uh, I was in prison for a while myself for a couple of years. And uh, back, in the, back in the day, in the early, in the early 90s, we used to, you get to go out to yard. They call it the yard. You get to go out to the yard for an hour or so every day. So everybody gets excited. They want to go out to the yard. And everybody has their little sections. You know, the, there's gangs. There's the bloods are here. The kings are here. The Muslims are there. And then we had our little area, and it was called Christian Corner. And that would be our corner, and we would all bring our little Bibles out. And, and I used to bring my Bible out of my boot because you can bring anything to the yard, but you can't bring a Bible. So I had this little pocket Bible I put in my boot every day. And so we used to sit in Christian Corner, and then it was, it was in summer, and we would look up at the big dome. There's a big dome in Rahway, and we'd look up at the dome, and, and right under the dome there was a gutter. And we noticed that there was a little uh, sprig about this big coming up out of the gutter, and it looked like a tree was growing or something. And when you're in there, you don't, you don't see anything. Like, you don't see grass. You don't see, like, there's no such thing as a tree or you don't see anything like living. So when we saw this little sprig coming up out of the gutter, everybody got excited. Look, look, there's something growing in the gutter. And so as time went on, we're watching and we're watching and, and months went by and it got bigger and it got bigger. And then the next year it got bigger and bigger. And after about three years, it was, it was like hanging off the side and it was all growing down. It was like 10 feet long and it was all curly and gnarly. And so we dubbed it the gutter tree. And so we, everybody was always watching it. I wonder what they're going to do with the gutter tree. The gutter's about to fall, this or that, and the other thing. So when I was in there, I worked in a greenhouse. And when I would go to work, I, I, you know, I would take care of some of the grounds and stuff. And uh, so one day I'm at the greenhouse, and I'm just putzing around doing my chores. And all of a sudden, I see these guys. And, the, and they're, like, dragging this thing down towards the dumpster. And, and I'm, I'm looking at them, and they're getting closer and closer. And I said, what the? I said, one of my workers, I said, what the heck is that? It looks like a tree. And then I said, oh, snap, is that the gutter tree? And these jokers were dragging the gutter tree, like, just, because it had gotten real big. And they were dragging it to the dumpster. And, I, and they, so they come up by the greenhouse. I said, hold on a minute. What's that? What's that? They said, that's the gutter tree. I said, no, no, you're not taking that to the dumpster. Let me get that. So I, I got it. They said, sure, because they didn't want to drag it any further. 
gutter. So I got the gutter tree and uh, I trimmed it all down and I, and I pruned it all up and I dug a square for it and I put it in the ground and you know the naysayers are everywhere. These jokers are like, that thing's never gonna grow. It's not gonna be, not, it's gonna die. And you know what? Just me and my little buddy Carlos, we put that thing in the ground and we prayed over it. We said, Lord, bless this tree and cause it to grow and be fruitful. And that was in the fall and in the spring, and in the spring we came around and we're looking and we're watching the tree and there's nothing on it. Every day we would come into work and we would look for a little sprig or something and, and there was nothing. And everybody was like, I told you it's not going to grow. Rah, rah, rah. And then one morning I came and sure enough, there was just one little sprig on it. And once you see one, you know, that's it. It's over. It's going to bloom and it's going to do good. So as the time went on, it started to grow and it grew in the first year. It grew about this, about that big. And then it grew and it grew and it grew. And after like four or five years, that junk got to be like 20 feet and it was full of mulberries and the birds were all over it and everything and everybody and i had to, i got i got i was able to get everybody to just acknowledge that look what the lord has done we prayed over this tree you were doubters but look what the lord has done so i share all that to say you know they were trying to drag that tree to the to the dumpster and really that was me i was the gutter tree i was in the gutter and satan was dragging me to the dumpster and the Lord said, no, 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 let me get that tree. And the Lord called me to himself and he brought me out of there and he planted me and he filled me with his word and he restored my life. And the Bible says that he will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. And he did it in my life. I did 30 years in prison. And I did all those 30 years from 1991 to 2021. I did all those years in prison as a Christian. And I served the Lord with all my heart and all my mind and soul and strength. And I preached the gospel and the Lord saved men and taught Bible studies. And I was all over the prison like white on rice for the Lord. And, you know, it was a missionary field. So I'm here to share with you this morning that don't give up on people. When you see Satan dragging somebody to the dumpster, get in there, give them the word, water them, you know, because the Lord can change lives. That's what he does. So anyway, most of you probably don't know it, but this church supports our prison ministry. And Debbie and I have known each other since 1995, and the Lord just did a tremendous work in my life. And she waited for me 27 years and a, a, a ministry, a prison ministry came up out of it. We have a 501c3 and this church has supported us for years and years and years and years. So everything that we do, it's because of the support of this church. And I want to encourage you guys to that. I want you to know that I am the fruit of your ministry and of your support. And we would appreciate so much your prayers. Now I'm going to bring my beautiful wife. And, and we're newlyweds. We've been married almost five months, although I was courting her for 27 years. <laughs> anyway, she's going to share about the kids. Praise the Lord. All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much. And okay, so we're talking about Christmas now, and I know it's a little early. I know we don't really want to talk about it, but this project that we do for the children of inmates um, takes us about four months to get all organized and ready and delivered. So Basically, I think you guys have a uh, something online that you can sign up to be part of it. I think Angela told me. And basically what it is is we get names from the prisons. We're going to be working in three different prisons, Southwood State Prison, East Jersey, and Trenton State. 
and we get names of children of the fathers that are in there and then we buy gifts and um you guys can be a part of that and help deliver and and just be like jesus to them okay and really the the gifts are just a vehicle to get into their homes and to share the gospel so um if you'd like to be a part of that it's really easy i mean there's a couple things you can do you can buy gifts and just wrap them and bring them to the church or you can buy them wrap them and then deliver them to your children that you have bought for so what we're going to do is as soon as we get the slips we should get them by october 15th okay the latest october 30th and if everybody can be signed up by then by october 15th and then you we can have an idea how many people that you guys your your church wants to sponsor okay and then we can give you the names and then you can do that and we just thank you so much all these years you guys have been doing this and delivering and just buying gifts and blessing the families and we're just so grateful for that and there's actually a verse in in um hebrews hebrews oh this is a little low here let me put my glasses on i'm getting old um it's uh hebrews 13 verse 11 or actually verse 5 it says remember those in prison as if you were yourself and you know what i just love that verse because this is a way that we can remember so we can remember those in prison by remembering their families. And you know what, it really means a lot to these guys because what we do is we go above and beyond just not buying the gifts, delivering and helping the families, but we also take pictures. So um, everybody takes pictures and then they send them to me and then I go to Walmart, make copies and then I send them to the inmates. And you know, it really means the world to them. Actually, Philip said that a lot of times the guys are looking at the pictures and they just, they're crying. I mean, these big guys like, like this in prison, they're like weeping because they're seeing pictures of their children. A lot of them have not seen their children and because of the pandemic, a lot of them have not seen their children in like two years so two plus years now right so anyway we get little notes every now and then from some of the inmates and I just wanted to read some of them because they're kind of heartwarming and glasses on again I'm so sorry <laughs> and it says let's see here's one you'll never know what it meant to me for me to call my girls on Christmas morning and hear the joy and smiles in their voices it truly made me feel like the best dad in the world. God bless you and your ministry for taking time out of your busy day to be a blessing to me and my family. So obviously they're ones um, that got gifts. And let me just see, I think I have one more here. And it says, there are no words to explain how much I appreciate what you're doing for me and others. The best feeling is to see the smiles on their faces, the children, when their gifts are giving are being given to them, and it's from me. <laughs> so, yeah, so all these gifts are given on behalf of their dads. They're not really from us personally or our church, the churches, but from the dads, okay? So if you'd like to be involved with that, um, a lot of these kids are small too, so sometimes they're really easy to buy gifts for. Some of the older kids, it's a little bit more harder, but you know what, I think it'll be a blessing and we just are so grateful and thank you so much for supporting our prison ministry. Thanks, Bruce. I got okay good great okay hey listen that's um that's some good stuff I actually remember because we've been here forever I actually remember my and Bessie could fill me in with help me with this but I actually remember delivering some of these things at the time you were you were asked to deliver some of the gifts and stuff like that 
and uh, we did we did that. But it's a it's a great it's a great thing to, to uh, be involved with for sure. So um, let me get started here. My name is Bruce Neary, and I'm an elder here at this church. And I do have a topic for you. I've already been bribed a few times with money to not go over a certain time. And it wasn't enough money, so it just wasn't enough. You know, you got you to do better than that. But anyway, um, what I, the first verse I put up here, sort of as an introduction, um, and this kind of leads me into the subject matter, is always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. Now, there was a time when I gave an account, and it was not with gentleness and reverence. But I'm 65 years old now. I'm a little more gentle. But I want to tell you my story, because many of you don't know me. And so, how did I become a Christian? Um, I, was born, I was raised in a middle-class family, oldest of five. And uh, when growing up, in the 70s, uh, my father basically said, you go to church, even though he didn't go to church, but he thought it was a good thing. So we would all have to go to church. And I do remember vividly going to church, and I got pretty much nothing out of it. It was not even a church alive or in spirit. The pastor kind of dead messages, but I went. And then my father would tell me at a certain point, he says, you don't have to go anymore. Everything's cool. And I was like, I'm still going to go. I'm still going to go, even though I really wasn't getting anything out of it. But as I look back on that, my story, I realized that God was pretty much calling me to go, even though I had no idea why. So anyway, I start, and I'm a horticulturalist, so I've been educated in plants and plant science and all that kind of stuff. So when I went to Rutgers University, um, I went there and took uh, Basically, I, was, I didn't have any place to stay, so I was basically thrown into an apartment with three other guys on a lottery. And I just didn't know where else to go. So one time I was coming back from soccer practice. I played soccer there. And I came into the, I came into the apartment, and literally, you know, there were people all over the apartment, fold, legs folded on the ground, praying, Bibles open. And I was like, whoa, what the heck's going on here, man? This is crazy. So I, I actually had my bag. I remember just like it was yesterday. I'm like, I'm, okay, dude, okay. I'm trying to get around people to get to my room. And I close the door behind me. And I go, whoa, man, something, something's going on here. Turns out the other three guys uh, had been Christians. They knew each other. And I was the one person thrown in from the lottery. So what happened, Chance? I don't believe so. So then, and, and then, of course, uh, involvement with nature and things like that. Uh, I was always interested when I was in these plant physiology classes like that. I just, I just can't buy this happen chance. So then I was then in Campus Crusade for Christ. was very powerful there. I was introduced to the gospel and accepted it. And then that started my, my, you know, my growth and become a Christian. And another story behind this, which is even crazier, is my wife, who became a Christian when she was like six or seven, her brother led, her brother brought the gospel home from college. She accepted it immediately. She's praying for me, her husband, as a young girl. How can I go wrong? 
Of course these things happen in an orderly fashion because of the prayers. So I just wanted to briefly kind of tell you my story. I think you should all have a story because if you look at the verse, if you're asked, that would be my story, personal. Like, this is why I believe what I believe. So that's important. So let's get into it. Um, what is a Christian worldview? We're going to talk about this. But I do want to say one thing, because Phil has prompted me to alter what I want to say. Um, I didn't put this in a slide presentation, but I thought I'd just mention it. Um, in our secular world, prisoners are you know, put in a category of like the wretched, the losers, these kind of things. That's a secular worldview in our world today. And my point of the discussion that we're going to have as I move forward is we need to adopt a biblical worldview. So as Debbie read from Hebrews, don't forget the prisoners. That's a biblical worldview that we need to adopt because the secular worldview is opposed to that. And so that's why our thinking has to be adjusted as we get up every day and walk this earth. You have to adjust your thinking. Okay? So here it is. This is the, this is the crux of our conversation right here. Okay? And from Romans 12.2. Okay? Uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that the, what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, that verse is packed with lots of stuff. And I don't want to spend too much time on it, but let's just take a look at it. Don't be conformed to the world. So every time I get up in the morning, I get in my truck, I go about the work, my day, I listen to the radio, I'm looking at my news app, whatever that might be, I can't conform to that world, yet I got to live through it. We'll talk about that, okay? And I've got to be transforming my mind throughout my day, month, and year. You got to so that means I'm actively, intel intelligently, actively, pursuing godly things. I'm not just going to be a robot, uh, you know, uh, uh, something just, you know, sitting in a chair, not thinking things through. It's going to be this transformation process. And we want to be engaged in that process where our mind is being freshly, uh, you know, revitalized and, and altered because this is the world we're living in is going to want to Confront that thinking and try to make you think that, okay, this is the secular view, and, and it's easy. It happens to us all. It happens to us all. We can easily get worked into a world where we're worried about the things of this world. And there's that fine line that we have to adjust to. So that's our main verse for today. Okay? So let's go on. Some of you, how many of you, by the way, just by a show of hands, how many of you have heard of a biblical worldview? Great. So you already have an understanding of it. So I'm going to go through the concept of it, what it means, and then I'm going to handle five. I'm going to talk about five points of a biblical worldview. There are more. There are more. But I didn't want to get anybody upset by going to 1.30, 2 o'clock. So I've limited myself. Okay. So let's look at the slide. Biblical worldview. 
So it's the framework of ideas and beliefs through the lens of a Christian as we try to interpret the world and as they interact in the world. So as we're interacting in the world, you're hearing things, you're seeing things. It's like, what, how do I respond to that? And it shapes your emotions, your intellect, your spiritual aspects, everything. But it allows us to answer questions about God. Like, in other words, what would Jesus think of this situation? Now, my, personally for me, personally for me, my tendency is to overdo it a bit on the news. And I'm reminded by the lady who was praying for me when she was seven, right? Okay. That, hey, you might want to make it easy there because I'm I might be a little too overly involved, and i got to do a course correction. Course correction. I'm living in the world, but at the same time, I can't be, like, upset about stuff that's going on to the point where, wait a minute, this is, this, I'm conforming to the world. I don't want to do that. So I want to be in the world. I want to be an intelligent Christian, an intelligent Christian who's ready to give an answer. I want to give an answer that's intelligent to people who will ask. And so this is this idea of having a biblical worldview. So here's the questions that we're going to talk about. There's five. I've outlined five. Okay? So the first one we're going to talk about is uh, origins. Like where did you come from? By the way, just a plug for the Bible studies on Tuesdays. We're studying Genesis. A lot of the biblical worldviews are in the book of Genesis. They're right in there. And one of them's origins. Like, where do you come from? And then underneath that, you'll see where you designed or did you happen by chance? That's huge. Because if you're designed, you have meaning, purpose, all kinds of stuff. But if I happen by chance, it's like, I don't know chance. I mean, I just, was, I just showed up here. Your perspective is completely different. So that worldview is dramatic. How about the matter of sin? We're going to talk about these. We're going to dissect each one of these. How about the matter of sin? Were you corrupted from the start? Okay. Were you corrupted from the start? Because that's a biblical worldview, but a secular worldview is opposed to that. We'll talk about that some more. Third one, where do you put your treasures? This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Where do you put your treasures? On earth or in heaven? Big deal. That's huge. Like, where are you investing? In the, in the biblical worldview or the secular worldview? Is all life sacred? In other words, are we image bearers? All life sacred? The Bible's clear on that. And then the last one we'll talk about is love unconditional or conditional. Jesus responded by unconditionally loving us. Today, there's conditions. We'll talk about that too. So those are the five points we're going to have. Okay? Very good. Okay. So we have to talk about truth first. Because today's age, there's a lot of truth out there. It's like, whoa. Everybody's got a truth. Everybody... You go outside, you listen to the radio, everybody's got their idea of truth. But what's the ultimate truth? 
We have to go right there biblically to the, what the Bible says about truth. So there's a couple of verses I put up there. John 14, 6 and John 8, 31 through 32. And it basically it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Ah, pretty, pretty straight up. If you believe in Jesus, you're all in. If you don't believe in Jesus, then there's no truth. It's as simple as that. And then you can adopt any other truth you think of. But Jesus is good enough for me. Look, Jesus is good enough for me because all I do is I look, at the, I look at the Bible. He lived. He died. He said all these great things. He was the son of God. He died for my sins. He lived. There's people professing that. There's eyewitnesses. I'm good. I'm good. I move on. I move on. Like, there's enough evidence for me. And then if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So Jesus is basically saying in these verses, look, I am the truth. So everything else out there, when I hear about other people talking about other stuff, you know, other types of religions, you know, things like that, this book, this self-help, whatever, whatever those things might be, I can just automatically look at it and wean from it, but I can disregard some things that just aren't biblically accurate. Because I'm going with Jesus on all this. I'm sold out on Jesus. Just because he died and rose from the dead. If he didn't do that, then I'd be like, okay, just another guy. That's not him. Okay? So then, how do we know the Bible's true? Because now we establish truth from Jesus, but then when we're looking through the Bible, I'm wondering, is all this, is, is this all, is all of this accurate? I mean, is there some stuff in here maybe, ah, you know, I'm not so sure about no, because it says here in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So now I, now, now I have proof that Jesus is the truth, the Bible's the truth, it says so, and so whenever I open up this, this book, I'm just getting good stuff. And inspired, it means God-breathed. God breathed. This morning when I got up, I was imagining that. Boom. Just breathing, and all of a sudden, this is the truth for all of us. So we can now establish that, that the truth is in the Bible, and we can go from there. Now, here's the opposing view. Relativism. Okay, relativism, which basically is defined is everyone's got the truth within them, as they see fit, okay? This is how the world is presently operating. So that's it, good for you, but it's not necessarily good for me. I'm going to do my own thing. And there's a danger there in relativism because if you go too far with it, all of a sudden it's like, hey, what that guy did, he killed a couple people. Well, you know, it's okay. He's, 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 he's a little messed up, but in other words, we're, we're going to work through that, okay? That's relativism. So we have to have... Sta we, we, these are, these are truths that if you look at it, the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality that exist in relation to society that are not absolute and can change. And I'll cite some examples of that in a minute. But they just, they can change. Another generation comes along, that was good for you guys, but now we've established a new truth. And so it's, it's important to recognize those things. Things from a historical context can be, cannot be absolute. You can, we can change history. People change history. They'll write a book about something, but they'll alter the history. And so that, again, that truth is, you know, the goalposts get moved. 
You know, if we get you watch the football games today, wouldn't it be funny if all of a sudden we watched the, the football game today and you turn the TV set on and they got the goalpost over at the 20 yard line? And you're like, gee, they changed the rules on me? Oh, yeah, we changed the rules. We think it should be this. It's the exact same thing. The goalposts have been changed, and then all of a sudden we need to recognize that. And then the last one there, the last point, right and wrong are assessed or evaluated. In other words, what was wrong can now longer, no longer be wrong, okay, because it can change. So these, this is this idea of relativism, okay, where it's, a, it's, a move, it's moving the yardsticks, moving the goalposts, adapting these things. And we see this every day around us. But we know that God's truths are pretty firm. They're firm. Not pretty firm. They're firm. They're not going to change. They're unchanging because they're from God. And he doesn't change. So this is the joke position I'm pointing to you guys. These two things. So here's some problems with it. I'm not going to go too far with this. I'm just going to mention a few of them. But when you can, I just wrote these off the top of my head. There's probably more. What is considered truth is always changing. So abortion, that's all over the place. It's changing all the time. 200 years ago, they never would have thought of it. Then all of a sudden, it was legal. Now it's not legal. Okay? So there's no, tr there's no truth in the sanctity of life. Because, it, again, it's a moving, changing thing. Sexual relations between members of the same sex now might be considered okay. But again, God's word is clear on that. But again, we live in a world where it's relative, things can change. How about sexual identity? Transgender movement, all that stuff now in the last five years, 10 years, people wanting to you know, adopt and change because they don't think their, their, their sex is properly created. So they want to change that. That's, a, that's now a truth among people who think, hey, what God did, what God designed, I'm going to change. Almost like the Tower of Babel. Well, you know what? I don't think that works for me. So again, this is these ideas, okay? The rise of the emergent church. You guys may not be aware of this. I wrote a couple notes down about it. The rise of the emergent church, and it's also the progressive Christianity. We're going to have a class in October, a Sunday school class on progressive Christianity. But basically, you know, you know the emergent church, um, you, you know, basically they put a heavy value. Now, this is a Christ these are Christian churches. They put a heavy value on works. Some of the stories in the Bible, ah, we're not so sure about. Stuff like that. Um, they want to attempt to use political power to kind of get a Christian you know, strengthen the church, use the political power, okay? Um, values and works again. And then, of course, the progressive church, they, they, it's, it's now called deconstruction of Christianity. For example, progressive church would say, God was a murderer. Jesus Christ didn't have to die. So they'll call him the, they'll call him the uh, cosmic murderer. That's the progressive church movement. So if you're, not, if you're not careful, you could actually go to one of these churches. You could actually show up. There's a woman that has a podcast. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her. Her name is Alyssa Childress. Uh, I got her podcast. I listen to her quite a bit. If you've ever heard, have anybody heard of Alyssa Childress out there? Yeah. And, and basically, she was in a church, and all of a sudden, she went to a, 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 a meeting at the pastor's house, and she tells the story, and she was like, all of a sudden, the pastor's announcing they're going to rename the church, all this kind of stuff. And her and her husband sitting there going, what the heck? And they flew out of that church. Because they, they were moving toward a progressive 
reiterate their constitution, all this stuff. She has since now adopted this idea of her mission. She's educated herself, and she's basically, you, you know, proclaim. She points out progressiveness in her podcast. It's interesting. See, listening to these kind of people is part of transforming your mind. It's part of transforming your mind. You know, if I'm listening to, uh, you know, a, a news outlet, I'm pretty much going to be all of a sudden, I might, I might find myself conforming to that outlet because I'm just a human being fallen. But if I'm listening to some things that are, that are helping me conform my mind, that's going to be valuable. So in other words, relativism encourages sins. Um, you become enlightened thinking. Like in other words, for example, get what you can now. Life is short. That would be a, that would be a, that would be a, that's relativism. That's a secular movement. Hey, don't worry about this. We're, we're, you're, you've got to get what you can now. I point out technology. I just threw that in there this morning. Oh, by the way, if I were to rename this sermon, I was telling Phil this, if I was rename this sermon, I would in parentheses say the sermon written from 12 a.m. to 5 a.m. Because let me tell you something, you guys, I was thinking about this for a couple of weeks. I'm going to start writing it. I go to bed, and I'm, I'm up at 2. I'm like, what is going on? I got something in my head. Oh, I'm going to go down and write it. I go down to my little tablet. Here's my tablet right here. My tablet. I go down there at 2 o'clock in the morning. My wife wakes up. What are you doing last night? I says, I was writing a sermon like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was doing it like every day this week. So... The, the technology part, just, I just wrote that just recently. But technology, I write that in because technology can be a, 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 be a form of relativism. Because I don't know if you guys watch these, these programs where scientists are exploring the, 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 you know, the galaxies, the universe, the web telescope, the newest telescope. You never hear, we're going to go back to the moon, all this kind of stuff. You never hear that we're doing this because we, we're examining God's glory. It's always about where we came from. That is a secular view. So if you're thinking about that all the time, you're also, you can adopt that view by going, yeah, we got to find out how we got here. But you'll never see that mentioned. That's why I mentioned technology. The environment, same thing, thing going, things going on. And then, of course, parental authority. That's under attack. These are all moving parts, moving truths that move, whereas God said, hey, listen, parents have authority. That's a truth among Christians. That's a biblical authority. Morality. Where does it come from? Just a couple things I mentioned there. You know, all our morality, everything that we are, comes from God. It's a tribute to his character and nature. So what are some of the things that God said to us? Just briefly on the screen, in Matthew, he taught us, love thy neighbor. And then the classic parable is the Good Samaritan. Everybody remember the Good Samaritan? When they asked him, hey, teacher, what is, the, what is your neighbor? So he told them this story about this guy who got robbed and thrown off to the side, and he, he was in bad shape. So who comes along? A priest and a Levite who are like spiritual people. Spiritual people. And they just walk by the guy. And then a Samaritan comes along who's considered like, hey, Samaritan, we don't, we don't even talk about that guy. Samaritan comes by and, and banishes him up, takes him to a place, gives the money to the guy, keep, take care of him, I'll stop back. Samaritan is the neighbor. 
So Jesus is in a moral statement saying to us, we got to look upon everybody as our neighbor, love everyone. And that gets down to the other verses there. Okay. Philippians and Romans value others above yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are not worldviews. These are not worldviews. So, so what does that mean? When you go about your day, you go about your day, these are the things that are in your mind, what Jesus would like me to do to convey his love. Because the love of the world is not going to convey the neighbor. The love of the world is going to say, you got to get your own. Don't worry about them. Just make sure you're squared away. So this, again, another idea, this, these, these worldviews. So let's look at the first one. Okay, the first one is origins. And it's pretty clear, and we can just kind of run over this pretty quickly. It just says in the Bible that God created everything. And now listen, I used to get into this with people. I used to be all kind of wound up about days of creation, all this kind of stuff. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really bother anymore. I just, look, I got my own opinion. Got my own opinion. Ask my family. I got an opinion about everything. Okay? But I just know God made it. I wasn't there. Nobody else was there. We weren't there. I think I know how it happened. But again, I just know God created, created the earth, created everything. So that's good enough for me. Okay? So, but the secular worldview is that little equation written there. Time plus matter plus chance equals a human being. So given enough time, throw some amino acids and proteins out there from a meteor came and did all, did all stuff. It all got, kind of got together over a period of time. There's a little bit of dice rolling in there. We throw some dice in there, and then we come out with a human being. So again, people have adopted that kind of thinking. Not, I, I don't believe it. But at the same time, then the, here's, the pro, here's the problem. Here's the problem. If I'm created by God, I'm in relation. I'm in relation. If I'm not created by God, who cares about a relationship? You're there by chance. So God wasn't involved. It was impersonal. It wasn't relational. Are you valued? Are you valued? It's time, matter, chance. I mean, people walking around thinking that, that kind of concept that just happened by chance, and there was no deity involved, they don't, have, they, can't, they don't have the same view I have. I'm going through the world knowing God loves me. They're going through the world going, I don't know who loves me. I don't know how I got here. So that's the first, first major worldview position, origin. Origin, okay? Second one, matter of sin. This idea of sin. Were you corrupted from the start? Were you corrupted from the day one? Are you, are you, listen, I got three grandchildren. I'm going to have a fourth soon. I had three sons. They were, they were, they were pretty nasty up front, right, up, right out of the chute. You know, like doing crazy stuff. You know? They weren't, you know, giving us, your know, mother and I, all kinds of pats in the back. You guys are doing a great job. No, they were, they, were, they, were, like, they were fighting against us all the time. It was like a war. Because we had three sons, it was three against two. So it didn't, it, you know, we had, we had, we had, it was tough. But you can see, if you have children, grandchildren, you can see the sin nature. It's there. Okay? And here we have some verses right there. And Luke, for the Son of Man has come, seek the lost and save. Now, again, I just go to Jesus. This is all I, this is all I need. 
Because if Jesus says, hey, I came for the lost and saved, we're sinners, I just write it out. I just write it home. That's it. We're good. I don't need to debate whether Jesus was accurate or not, whether he didn't have a good night's sleep that night, maybe it wasn't true, all that kind of stuff. No, he said it, I'm good. Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have false sin. Okay? And then Colossians, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. We know this. We, you, we, we know we walk through the world every day and we're like thinking crazy stuff sometimes. And you know it's not from God. You know it's that nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Hey, listen, I get some customers who really, you know, annoy me. And yeah, and, and what will happen is, and I, I try to catch myself, but I'll start thinking negative thoughts versus praying for them. That's my sin nature. It wants to go here. It wants to go, you know what? You're a, a terrible person for not paying me after 90 days. Versus, versus I'm going to pray for that guy. Because that's the difference in the worldview. Difference in the worldview is pile on with everybody else on that guy. But the biblical worldview says, no, 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 no. You pray for that person. That is a huge chasm difference right there. It's massive. Okay? So those are some of the things about sin. But what we have here is a different view. Phil could probably address this. But we, you've been, secular view is, no, 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 no. Your environment did it. Your upbringing. This thing happened years ago in your life. You were in a bad economic situation. You didn't have the right resources. You had bad past experiences. You didn't inherit it. This is all because you, you had nothing to do with this. This just happened to you. Your sin nature, the fact that you think these things or do these things. It's not, we can fix it. So you have a whole different worldview. Because, the, 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 listen, think about it. It makes sense. If you, have, if you believe in corrupted, you're corrupted from sin, you have to go to Jesus. You ha there's no other place to go. But the enemy of this world, who has adopted a secular view, doesn't want you going to Jesus. What's he want you to do? He wants you to go everywhere else but Jesus. It's so clear. Because that's the way he, he, he wants you to think that all these experiences, all these things happen to you, and you're not at fault. And so you don't have to go to Jesus, the Savior, and be won over. And that's the difference. And then you can see how these positions are directly opposed to each other. And I'll tell you something. It's not even close. It's like this, this chasm, like 3,000 feet deep. And on one side is here and the other side is there. And there's this huge chasm. It's not even where I can step off and maybe, maybe walk over there. No, no. You walk off, it's, that's far apart. That's how far apart they are. It's that big a chasm. So that's their second view of corruption. Third one. Third one. Where do we put our treasures? So, so far we have origins. The nature of sin or why we do bad things, think bad things. And then where do you put your treasures? In earth or in heaven? Another worldview that's like, hey, you're, not, if you're either going to build a kingdom or you're not going to build a kingdom. So if I, if I have a worldview of secularism, I'm doing stuff that doesn't matter for the kingdom. It doesn't matter for the kingdom. I'm just doing these things that are earthly to preserve whatever's going on here that's going to go anyway. 
Whereas if I'm building, if I'm putting my treasures in heaven, they're lasting. Because look what it says there. Do not lay up treasures on, this is Jesus now. Remember Jesus' words? Like, whoa, stop in your tracks. Do not lay up treasures in earth for moth and rust can destroy it. By the way, it can. Look at the stock market. Right? Okay? And where thieves can break in and steal, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there's where your heart is also. That's the call of our worldview. We give toward kingdom. We give toward kingdom building. So what do we do? We support missionaries because that's for the kingdom. Because if somebody gets saved in, in the prison, wonderful. That's kingdom. That guy's going to be there. I'll be hanging out with him. Because I had the, we had the right perspective. And then you look at no man can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches or the things of this world. Now, Jesus made us. He designed us. So he knows what we're about. He knows we can't serve two people, right? So these are some truths. That's number three. And then what would this mean? Some examples. Maybe you've acquired a lot of possessions. You're thinking about possessions. Uh, your wealth is related to anything in the world. You're thinking, you're consumed with, how, how's my, how am, I, how am I doing with my money? You're overly concerned with it. You, know, you, can, you can pay attention to it. It's that fine line. You don't, want to be, you don't want to be legalistic about this stuff. You don't want to be legalistic all of a sudden, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that. No, no. You're having a perspective as you're walking through the world. You're concerned about your finances, but you're not overly concerned. You're not immersed in it because there is a point where God's going to, you have to trust God in whatever's happening to you. Your status, you might be a big-time status guy. Like all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I'm really, I'm really about what I'm, people see me as, these kind of things. This is this, is this worldview position, position where you're, you're desiring the treasures on earth. And then worldly ambition. Worldly ambition. So if you find yourself in a place where you're overly concerned about things that are going on in the world, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's the point of like, you, that, where's the, is there a tipping point? Because that's what happens to me. Okay, that's what happens to me. I, I'll, I'll, get, I'll go there, and there's a tipping point, and then I'm brought back either by God's word or my wife. One or the other. Okay? I'm brought back, and, 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 and then I acknowledge, I go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, a danger, that's, a, that's a place I should not go to. Because it's very simple in our sin nature to just slip in there, to slip to that side. And we got to be careful about that. Because these are the things that the world will want you to think about. Your status, how people feel about you. You know, yeah, they, oh, that guy's a great guy. You know, it's okay, but the point that are you giving too much to this world and forgetting about laying treasures in heaven? That's number three. Okay? We must have the right view of life, understanding we are pilgrims. Okay? We must have the right view of the world as we walk through it. Okay, how do we use our gifts and possessions and resources for the kingdom? That's again, that's, look, this all goes back to my first verse. Conforming and transforming your mind. If, if you have to, if you're looking at this stuff, you've got to think about it. You've got to take stock and go, you know, I don't think I'm doing a good job with that. I don't think, I'm, I don't think that's working out for me too well. It's, it's you're conforming your mind. You're just not going through every day of life and just going, 
Okay, everything's cool today, blah, blah, blah. You're, you're analyzing and conforming your mind to a godly approach. And so you have to occasionally take stock, okay? Over-concern for the things of the world should cause you to stop and readjust. I just mentioned that. You know, I can get wrapped up in it. I read the Wall Street Journal every weekend. Like, oh, my gosh, you know? Whoa, you know, and I can, I can go there, you know? You can, get, you can get immersed in it. And this helps us adopt a Christian worldview, knowing these things. Okay, number four, is, say, is life sacred? Are we images? There's lots of there's lots of scripture verses. Here's Jeremiah, there's Psalm, and both both those verses, and there's many more, just for the sake of time, that basically says God more, more or less knit you. He knit you, he wove you. Now, you know, I, I don't I don't think knitting is a, a thing anymore with women. And, you know, I don't I don't see that happening anymore. Everybody's kind of busy. But if you watch these TV shows, right? There's sometimes women are knitting around in their chat, shocking, and they're, you know, chatting it up. And, um, and, and I look at that, and I say to myself, that's pretty intricate stuff. As a matter of fact, our, some of our sister, my sister-in-laws knit some stuff for the grandkids and stuff like that. It's a process, right? It's pretty detailed. Like, the, some of these knitting, some of these things that are knit are pretty extraordinary. Well, I look at this first and says, I was knit, womb, knitted together in the womb. It's like, wow, God just didn't, like, whip it up. He whipped it up in a way, but he also is, like, intimately involved in knitting you together. Cell to cell, DNA to amino acid, amino acid. He's putting it all together in, in, in high detail. That's, why, that's the biblical worldview of life, okay? We know what the unbiblical worldview of life is, disposability. You just dispose of somebody. Okay, we looked, you know, you're, you're no longer useful. And the last one is love unconditional or conditional. Well, we know that God sent his son to us to die on a cross in order to take punishment for our sins. And here it is. We love because he loved us first, 1 John. Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not a work of yourselves, a gift of God. God's love, therefore, is a commitment. It is unconditional. Unconditional. If it was conditional, he would have said, look, I'm going to die for your sins, but I need you to do a couple things first. You need to do this, 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 and this. Not un- that's, not, that's not unconditional. So who does that? Who comes along and says, I'm going to accept you because you've accepted me. You accepted what I've done for you as a gift, and then we're done. We're good to go. That, the, the, world is not, the world does not offer that. It, it doesn't offer that. There's, no, there's only one thing that offers that. Christianity. Jesus is the only one who offered it. Because everybody, everybody else is conditional. As we look here forward, you know, it's conditional. So what does that mean? It's dependent on the behavior of others. I just gave some examples here. I will love you if you buy me this ring. I, I don't think you should go in on that one. Okay? I will stay with you if you take that job. See, it's not unconditional. It's not like, I'm going to love you to wherever we go. Jesus says, you love me, and I'll take care of you. I, you just have to love me, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything for me. I'm going to ask you to love me 
and through my Holy Spirit, you'll be guided and nudged along in love. That is not a worldview. Oh, how about the last one? We fell out of love, but uh, we respect each other as friends. Right? Yeah, you know, it just didn't work out. But we, we're friends. We're friends. So that's, that's not biblical love. So these are all stress inducers, right? Whereas what Christ, Christ promises is free, asking nothing in return. So we have origins, sin nature, right? Where you give your money, okay? Fourth one is unconditional love. I think I missed one there. What was the fourth one? Help me out here. Missed one of them. Love is unconditional, sacred, of course, life. A life. And we see that, we see that in, in today's society with abortion, stuff like that. Okay? And then the last thing, just to close, that, close it up here a little bit, I, there's a few others there. There's a bunch more. If I just throw two more. Uh, if, you know, for the sake of time. Meaning. Like, what's your purpose in life? That would be a biblical worldview. What is your purpose in life? Okay? The secular world's not asking that. And then Destiny. That's a big one. I should have covered that one. Destiny's a big one because the world says you're just sort of like, we don't know. You just go someplace. Or maybe you go to heaven, but they don't really understand it. Okay? But we know as believers, Jesus promised. Hey, listen. My favorite scripture is the thief on the cross. Come on. I mean, you can't get any better than that. The guy's up there. He doesn't ask him any questions. He doesn't ask him about his resume. Hey, I need your resume first. I got to check you out first, you know. No, he just, boom. I, I, I love you, Jesus. Can I come with you? Boom. Automatic. He's going. By the way, if you have any questions about where you go immediately after death, thief on the cross. Thief on the cross. Thief on the cross is great. It's a great theological part of the Bible because it answers a lot of questions. You go right to heaven. Okay, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I love you. I accept you, what you do on the cross. No questions asked, because the guy was going to be dead in 30 minutes. He's, and that's it. Jesus says, you're good. You're gonna, you will be with me today in paradise. There's no more conversation. How lovely is that? How lo- I, I leave you with this. It's precious and privileged to have a biblical worldview. You are children of God. He has given that to us. You can now walk through the world knowing stuff, like the important things. All this stuff you have been given. Now we cultivate it. We become disciples and we cultivate it and build on it so that, so that when the day comes, I'm 65, so there's a lot behind me. But when the day comes, we want, to be, we want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because part of that is going to be, how you, are you conforming your mind during your life that I gave you? Are you conforming your mind? Are you thinking about these things? Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So I'm just going to say, I'm going I'm to, quick prayer. I think I, I think I got I think I got you out here on time. I'm pretty good, right? Did I do okay?
just want to make sure, <laughs> you know? Okay, Lord, thank you so much for this time to uh, be with uh, my brothers and sisters. I'm going to be able to talk with them about these things. Just thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. Thank you for um, the Reardons for being here. Bless their work, Father. I ask, Father, you be with all of us this week. Bless and keep us and watch over us. Amen. Slay.